From pitch side to print to the press box above Providence Park. It's Jamie Goldberg from the Oregonian and Richard Farley from the Portland Timbers and Thorns. This is Soccer Made in Portland. On the scene, all the time. Welcome everyone to Soccer Made in Portland. We're here at Providence Park. They really didn't waste any time between the final uh, home game uh, of the year and really getting uh, everything going with construction. Obviously, there's been construction all year, but you might hear a little bit of background noise. The field is covered with cones and uh, trucks and materials right now. That background noise is the heater that you are forcing us to have on. <laughs> I say forcing. It's actually a pretty good idea since it's, what, 45 degrees outside or something like that. I mean, we should be complaining because we're both going to Kansas City in a few days. We probably should get used to the cold. <laughs> if people listen to the podcast last week, they will not only remember how much I complained about it, but I forgot half of that story. When I went to MLS Cup in 2013, not only was it frozen... But I ended up being snowed in for four more days in Kansas City. It was terrible. It was so bad. This is this is the one place in the league that, because of those memories, I just don't want to go. But I do think it's a good idea to turn on the heater here. And yeah, as you're alluding to, Providence Park is deeply under construction right now. They're totally doing the last started the last major. Uh, construction on the east side and this is my office for the next seven or eight months <laughs> isn't this a great view well, you gotta send i think you're gonna have to send out updates every like few weeks so one like the monday photo update from richard farley or something yeah uh, maybe i can do some kind of time lapse <laughs> in the future yeah that would be cool it is crazy how much you can now get a feel for what this stadium is going to be like next year and the fact that it's going to be so enclosed is is pretty exciting it's also i think a little bit i don't know I wonder what it's going to sound like because I can just imagine it's going to be so loud next year. Yeah, it's definitely going to be different. Um, Before we get to next year, though, because I think construction is going to be a big off-season topic for us, let's talk about uh, the soccer that's still going on and the soccer that happened this weekend here at Providence Park before they really got going on the construction this morning. Uh, Timbers versus Kansas City in the first leg of the Western Conference Championship Series. They played a scoreless draw. Our predictions... Not great. <laughs> well, I kind of knew my prediction wasn't going to be great, but uh, <laughs> you never yes. know. Yeah, I mean, I was certainly hoping throughout the game <laughs> that Zarek Valentin would have a goal and an assist. It only puts more pressure on me to have an even more ridiculous prediction for the coming <laughs> game. So that might be the most interesting part of the show, how lame my prediction is going to be at the end. But uh, if I recall correctly, you predicted a the generic 2-1. Yeah. And you were three goals off. So, I was. <laughs> so let's go ahead and move forward, giving each other zero points and talk about yeah. what was actually one of the more entertaining 0-0 draws that you're going to see. Both teams played pretty well. The Timbers, for the most part, kept Kansas City from playing their preferred style, probably had the better chances in the match and controlled most of the play. As is in soccer, those things are no guarantee that you'll actually score a goal or win a game. And as you said, it's 0-0 ahead of Thursday's second leg in Kansas City. Jamie, what would you think of it? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the Timbers played well. I, I think that, like you said, they, they had the better opportunities, especially in the first half. I, I think the Timbers were dominant in the first half. They finished the dominant. game. Dominant. Uh, yeah. Dominant. Whoa. I think I think in the first half, uh, 
Kansas City, I believe, finished the first half with, with just one shot yep. off target, and, and it was from maybe 40 yards out. They they didn't come close to finding a goal. The Timbers, uh, six minute, of course, was was one of their better chances of the game when Ori Viavania put it off the Revenge of the post. Yeah, the revenge of the post. Uh, I was wondering if that was going to be the main storyline coming out of the game, but I, I think the Timbers had a lot of opportunities in the first half. I, I, I think they they control possession which I, it doesn't you know it, throughout the entire game only you know 50 50.4% of possession but against a team that likes to try to control possession um I, I thought the first half was really good I thought Kansas City did a good job to get back in the game and adjust in the second half started to get more opportunities they they had a, I think with Johnny Russell an opportunity that uh, he could have, with a better shot, uh, potentially put away. Yeah, um, in the 49th minute yeah, or so. Yeah, something of the game. like that. Uh, but overall, a good performance from the Timbers. I, I think they have to be a bit frustrated coming out of the game that they weren't able to score that goal uh, and, and get the win, even though, you know, Kansas City did a good job defensively. And, and so a scoreless draw is maybe a fair result, but uh, the Timbers certainly had opportunities to turn to a win. Yeah, I think it was a fair result. Uh, I know the Timbers weren't frustrated. I think it is a good question whether they should be frustrated. It's really become in vogue to look at this 0-0 first leg and kind of go, oh, the away team now has the advantage because all they need to do is score on the road, and then all of a sudden the tiebreaker breaks in their favor. And that's absolutely true. That is a quirk of the way goal rules to where uh, 0-0 after 90 minutes isn't so bad for the team that's about to go on the road, but at the same time, the Timbers are now looking at 90, 120 minutes against the team that put up the best record in the Western Conference in what looks like it's going to be close to freezing temperatures (laughs) on Thursday. So, if you had told the Timbers at the beginning of the year that, you know, here's the scenario, are you okay with the first leg being 0-0, knowing that you'll still have 90 or 120 minutes, they'd be like, I think we should probably try to score some goals in that first leg, right? So it's clearly not an insurmountable task. I think beyond just that scenarios of it, the abstract scenarios, I'd be really encouraged if I were the Timbers with what tactically we saw on Sunday because I think there are still a lot of ways that we saw the Timbers could have scored that are still going to be there on Thursday in Kansas City. I'd like you to hear you elaborate on that a little bit uh, just to get into the you know nitty-gritty of it. What tac- From a tactical perspective, what do you think worked and what do you think they're going to be able to replicate now on the road? Well, the first thing that's, that come to mind are just the actual kind of matchups. We saw, particularly early in the game, but it persisted throughout the whole game, that the Timbers were having a lot of success getting behind Sestinovic. Dyron Espria, a couple of times, was able to cut back balls from the end line and really create danger. The Jorge Villafania chance that you alluded to was from that. Sestinovic is not going to get any faster in the next four (laughs) days. Kansas City is not going to appreciably change their style. I thought Daniel Shalloway did a good job, as he usually does, helping on that side, but that's going to be a place, whether it's with Dyron Espria or Andy Polo, that the Timbers are going to continue to be able to create chances. I think Kansas City, like you alluded to, adjusted in midfield as the game went on. They kept their three in midfield tighter than they usually do. Usually those guys are so spread out because they want Espinosa and Gutierrez high to help press. But they actually drew them back closer to Ilya Sanchez. And if you're forcing Kansas City to do that, to cover those spaces that we just alluded to, then you've already kind of won a tactical battle. So I think that's going to persist. I think the Timbers are going to continue to be able to generate chances. I think the chances aren't going to be as clean as they were in those first 10 minutes. But Kansas City has had to adjust to the fact that the Timbers have specific personnel advantages, and they're not going to be able to play as open as they usually do. And I think that's something that will persist for the next 90, 120 minutes. Yeah, and I I think you sort of look... 
to, to point out a few players, I actually thought Esprio played really well in place of Andy Polo. I don't know if he'll be in there again, but I think in that winger role, he has looked more comfortable. I mean, you still, you know, there's more you want to see from him, but I, I think, as you kind of mentioned, there there were some things he was able to do on that wing um, in terms of helping the Timbers create chances. But the two players that I think really stood out for me in the game were the Diegos. Uh, both Diego Chara sort of just manning the midfield and defensively especially in that second half um, and Diego Valeri I think either created six or seven chances in the game as way more chances created through this postseason uh, than any other player in MLS right now um, and in terms of helping the Timbers continue to create chances on the road I, I think obviously the way he's played in this postseason sort of taken um, even another step up from his regular season performance uh, is going to be really important on the road. Yeah I thought Shara was epic. Yeah uh, it's hard to, it's hard <laughs> it's to use that word in a game it, that itself wasn't epic, but Chara was amazing. And we're used to those performances, but in that game, under those circumstances, with these stakes, it just can't be said enough about how instrumental he is to this team's success, but also just instrumental to the mentality of the team, the culture of the team. Uh, Valeri, I have a little bit of different view because most of those chances he created were off dead balls and set pieces. Um, I thought the Timbers, the one thing that they really lacked was just just the finishing touch on a lot of their pattern yeah. play. I thought Valeri was a part of that. I saw, thought Blanca was a part of that. He, you know, the one place where there was a penalty shot that Viafania went down the box. I mean, Seba's ball was a little heavy, and Viafania couldn't get to it in time. I thought Jeremy Obobasi had a heavy touch on a Lim Ridgewell pass in the second half. Well, that was one of the best passes I've seen all postseason. It was about a... A fifty-yard pass straight toward the penalty spot that beat all three lines that he had to go through, um, and then you know, Dion Espria too. Uh, towards the end of the game, I think that he kind of hit a wall physically. Yeah, definitely towards the end of the game. Yeah, it his, his, like he his got crosses tired. were kind of just coming up. Well, not even leaving the ground at <laughs> yeah. that point. And I think that's the one thing when you look back at the game, the Timbers generated a lot of decent chances. It's just they couldn't find the finishing touch, and I don't really see that changing in. Kansas City. Maybe the weather will have an effect. Maybe what's likely to be a, a frozen solid field will have an effect. But the way the Timbers generated their chances, you you ask yourself, well, if Kansas City has to account for those and change their style, they change their whole identity. And so I don't I don't think Kansas City is going to do that. And in that way, kind of a glass half full coming out of that shutout this weekend. Do you think? And Heath asked this, and I think we got this question from a few other people. Do you, in terms of sort of the feeling coming out of this game, whether the Timbers, you talked a little bit about how the Timbers sort of responded after the game, but do you think it will be costly uh, for the Timbers not scoring at home? Ooh, um, yeah, I, I honestly think it will. Whether that means that, um, you know, they put themselves in a situation like in Seattle, obviously they'd scored two goals ahead of Seattle, but they let Seattle back in that game with uh, Raul Ruiz Diaz's opener and the dynamic of the game changed and eventually away goals was ruled out. But if you're asking me if I think Portland is going to keep another clean sheet in Kansas City, no. I mean, it's entirely possible the way this team is defending, but I Kansas City is a good team that's going to be playing at home. So I think they, they will left, be left ruining the fact that they didn't score a goal because at some point they're going to have to break through. Yeah, I, I could see this turning into, and we'll get into predictions later, but I could see it turning into more of a high-scoring game in Kansas yeah. City because I, I think Kansas City is going to be capable of scoring on their home field, and I think the Timbers, they haven't been shut out many times this year, and like you said, they've 
were creating chances and they were close to scoring. I think if they continue that, you expect that at some point something's going to go in. Uh, so then this could very easily uh, turn into one of those exciting um, back and forth matches like we saw in Seattle. Now, one thing that I think is crucial that is born off of the statistic you cited from Diego Valeri with so many chances created, you only get a chance to create, chance to create if it leads to a shot. Yeah. So if Diego Valeri is creating five, six chances from dead balls, that shows you that Portland was getting shots off of corner kicks and restarts. And you look back at the film, there was a point where David Guzman near Porto on a corner had a good flick on opportunity. Jeremy Obobasi had a chance to go on goal that he just kind of slightly missed. We know towards the end of the game, Bill Tuiloma got some juice behind yeah. a corner kick. And then Liam Ridgewell had the opportunity that eventually was waved off that turned into a Guzman goal that was offside. That's four different players that were threats. And you go through Kansas City's team and you're saying to yourself, well, how many people do they really have to mark all those people? And if Larry Mabiala is healthy, then he'll go in the place of Tuiloma and they'll still have a lot of options to target. Based on Diego Valeri's delivery that we saw on Sunday and how he's been playing throughout the whole playoffs, I think that's a significant advantage for Portland. Because once you get past Matt Beasler and once you get past Ike Opara, who's marking who? I yeah. think that's a great advantage for Portland. On the other side uh, of the field, um, we don't have any yellow card uh, uh, suspensions um, that came out of this game. But on the other side, Diego Rubio will be coming back yeah. for Kansas City. Does that make a big difference for you? It does, although somebody kind of pushed back on that today and noted that uh, Kyrie Shelton had started something like four of the last six Kansas City games. And I, I feel like an idiot. I never even stopped to consider that because I know Shelton start, started – the season finale, I believe, and then he started the first leg in Utah, which I kind of thought was just a defensive move to try to get out of Utah with a low score. And uh, Rubio came on and scored the goal in that game. But when you look at the numbers, I mean, Rubio has one of the best goal rates yeah. in MLS. I mean, he's averaging over a goal per 90 minutes. Yeah, I think when you have somebody <laughs> like that, I mean, that's like if if Portland still had in-form Armenteros to play, that would obviously matter, right? <laughs> yeah. So Rubio in his... I think 16 appearances this year have been has been in form Armenteros. So for me, I want to throw this back at you. If Kansas City has Diego Rubio and Portland is missing Laris Mabiala, how does that change the dynamic of what we saw on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I expect Rubio to start uh, just because, I, I mean, he comes off in the first Utah game and scores a goal. And then I think he either scores in the second or or has, he gets on the scoreboard yeah. in some way in the second so you have a player that's coming off two good performances in the last two games they've played I expect him to be in the lineup um, Bill Tuiloma has shown well uh, so I, I think that that's a good sign for the Timbers that they're bringing in another guy that's been doing well and, and can hopefully be up to the task of um, marking Kansas City marking Rubio if he's coming back in but yeah, I mean, I think the Timbers are losing something when if Larry Smobiala isn't on the field. There's a reason why he started, I think, 31 games in the regular season. He's a veteran. He's been the Timbers' most consistent defender this year. Um, I think it's a good sign what we've seen from Bill Tuiloma in, in his recent performances and particularly coming off uh, coming into the game unexpectedly on Sunday and doing well. Uh, but the Timbers lose something when if they lose either... Liam Ridgewell or in this case Mabiala. Yeah, the numbers speak for themselves yeah. regarding those two guys and the goal rate that the Timbers have is uh, less than half of what we've seen with a Ridgewell Tuiloma or Ridgewell Cascante duo. At the same time, the Timbers are playing from an area of strength that they can have somebody like Bill Tuiloma. And I don't think we would have said that at the beginning of the year given <laughs> that Bill Tuiloma didn't play at all under Caleb Porter, but 
Bill Tuiloma has been good. Julio Cascante had some rough points this year, but if he's your fourth central defender, you've got some strength in those positions. They've got three good quality starting level fullbacks. We've seen, you know, we talked about Chara uh, at one point in the show. Guzman had a great game on Sunday, too. I mean, that pairing was able to match up two versus three in the middle, um, given that, you know, Diego Valeri, although he's listed as a midfielder, he's really more of a second striker at this point in his career. They were able, with that numerical disadvantage, to still hold down the midfield against Kansas City. That's that's great. I, I was thinking about this today because um, with... Andy Polo and Samuel Armenteros unavailable. We saw Tomas Konechny come into the 18. And, uh, you know, in some places, the Timbers' depth has been such a virtue. The fact that Dyron Espria can come in and put in a good shift. That fact that Andy Flores and Andy <laughs> Andres Flores came in in Seattle and did well. And we talked about Tuiloma. And then other places, it's kind of the depth that we've been talking about all year hasn't really panned out. So I was wondering about that, and then I was also looked over at Kansas City. It's like, oh yeah, they didn't even use a substitute until the ninety-first minute. Like the Timbers have more options than them, at least. I was wondering what you think about that. Do you think, to what extent do you think that the Timbers' depth is helping or maybe lacking at this point in the season? I, I'm still not convinced that they have the players in the attack that they necessarily would want in, in this kind of run. I, I think obviously Espria. Um, maybe change that perspective a little bit with his performance against Seattle if we continue seeing that. I mean, he didn't come close to matching that uh, on Sunday. I I think Milano has brought something different, um, but I I still don't think it's the same as you go back to the Audi or Rudy um, platoon, really. Okay, so do you think Milano coming off the bench is a better option than Darren Maddox? I'm not even... I'm not sure. I mean, I think Milano... I I think Milano has brought something different, but Maddox would score with more consistency. Uh, I can see both arguments because when Milano comes in to these games, we see the games change. We see that they open up. The counterattack has become more dangerous. Counterattacks going the other way become more dangerous sometimes, too. (laughs) But you see him coming on. The dynamic of the games change. But ultimately he hasn't put up goals at the same rate Darren Maddox did. So it might look better aesthetically, but is it actually more effective? I don't know. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a question because I don't think the Timbers really have that guy, except if Espria really is just playoff form Espria, to really have that guy coming off the bench that you can sort of count on to score that late goal. And I, I think they had that in 2015. I, I think defensively, the depth is pretty strong. Um, I, I think if Mabial is out, obviously you lose depth because I'm not sure sort of how you feel about the potential of Julio Cascante coming in as your third center back. He's been really good. He's also not been really good this year. You don't really necessarily know what you're going to get. Um, but, I mean, at outside back, you, we've talked about that. That's even more of a competition. I think Alvis Powell uh, is a good depth piece to have coming off the bench in that position. So defensively, I'm a little bit more confident, uh, although the potential of losing Mary, Larry Smabiala uh, obviously changes that a bit. Let's talk about that potential because Giovanni Savarese had his media availability on Monday at the training center in Beaverton. You were there. I were there. I was there. Uh, <laughs> apparently my grammar is still out in Beaverton. <laughs> but you asked about the injury situation. Yeah. So what do we know about Mabiala, Polo, and Armenteros? Yeah, um, it- Savarese said that Mabial's injury was an ankle injury. I I was told it was an ankle sprain uh, earlier in the day. The severity of that is still being determined. Um, Savarese didn't rule Mabial out for Thursday, although just based on it being labeled an ankle sprain, I am I would be surprised to see him in this game. We'll see. Uh, he hasn't been officially ruled out, but I, I think it's a good sign for the Timbers, at least in the long term, because. 
I, I think there was a lot of people wondering yesterday, oh, oh my gosh, is, is this going to be another Achilles? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Timbers have had way too many of those with center backs in yeah. the last few years. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't it doesn't look like it's that. It's, it's an ankle sprain, and, and that whether it means that Montreal will factor in uh, the rest of the playoffs, we don't know yet. Uh, but whether he's going to factor in the long term, uh, this is something that he should be able to come back from um, perfectly fine. Yeah, I don't think that's an issue. But the thing that comes to mind when we're how many? We're 21 hours from his injury, and there's still an uncertain status. Is that field on Thursday is going to suck? Yeah, it's going to be frozen. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I'm having flashbacks to 2013, and I. I've got some kind of, I hate using the term PTSD because that's a serious thing, but I've got like the sports meme version of PTSD from that. And then after that, it's looking like the MLS Cup final is going to be at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta on NFL turf. So not the best time to have a foot injury. There's never a good time to have a foot injury, but I'm wondering how those things will matter. Now, other injuries, Andy Polo was held out of the 18 on Sunday with a calf injury. What's the update on him? Yeah, uh, Sarasi said he's back in, in training, so he looks pretty good to go uh, on Thursday. There was no for sure answer there, but it sounded like he um, was on track to be available. And then the last one, Samuel Armenteros, it's been a while since he was in the 18. What's his status? Yeah, I, I think Savarez just said they're still evaluating him. He was uh, labeled it's out yesterday for back spasms. He's seemed to have a little injury here or there all play, all through the playoffs so far and clearly he's just sort of on the outs with the team in general he hasn't been able to get his way back into the lineup um I don't, so I just don't know if we're going to see him factoring in this playoffs at all but right now I mean I saw him on a treadmill it, it appears that he is dealing with some sort of injury right now around those back spasms yeah I think the last time Samuel Armenteros was in uniform was for the knockout round match in Dallas where he didn't feature but if memory serves, he was in the 18. Well, we have a couple of days here to rest before the game Thursday in Kansas City. Uh, Obviously, we've seen these two teams play against each other very recently. So the question to me is, how is Thursday's game going to be different from what we saw on Sunday? What's your hunch on that? I I just think the biggest difference is I I, I do expect it to be just a little bit more open, and I expect there to be be a lot more goals. If the Timbers score first, Mm -hmm. uh, that changes everything. I I mean, Kansas City has to score then, too, um, to put themselves back in a position where they would advance, uh, so they're going to have to be a lot more aggressive. The Timbers are probably going to get opportunities on the counterattack, which I I think they would like a lot. So the Timbers score first, I I think everything changes in this game. Yeah, definitely. Um, If Kansas City scores first, obviously the Timbers aren't going to love that uh but they're not in nearly as bad of a position as uh kansas city would be if they if the timbers score first uh because then the timbers just need the one goal uh, to be back in a position where they would advance uh so i I expect this to be a much more open game i expect there to be goals i I would be shocked (laughs) if it ends up being another scoreless draw but you know it probably will be because i said that (laughs) i yeah i would be shocked too but even as I was kind of teeing up that question for you, I started asking myself, which of these teams has incentive to change? Not which team has the most incentive to change based on Sunday's result. I think probably the answer there is Kansas City because they weren't able to play the type of game they usually like to play. But which of these teams has incentive to go into Thursday's game and say, we are definitely not going to do what happened on Sunday? And the answer to me is neither team. 
I think neither both teams are just going to look at each other and go, if we just play better, a little better, we're going to win this one. We don't need to do anything drastic. Even Kansas City, they might be saying to themselves, you know, at home we can open things up a little bit more. We can be aggressive. We're going to be at home. But as you're alluding, yeah, go ahead and open things up against Portland and play right into <laughs> their biggest strength. So if you told me this made it all the way to 210 at 0-0, 0 0 I don't think that's the most shocking thing, to be honest with you. And I think it just speaks to something that I was thinking throughout the game on Sunday. These teams just seem so evenly matched. On one hand, I think Portland is legitimately a more dangerous team. I think they have more talent in attack. I think they have more creativity. But at the same time, I think Kansas City, in some ways, um, is more poised or more adept, adept at pouncing on other teams mistakes or creating those mistakes in dangerous areas and in that way you can look and say oh portland has all these enviable talents but kansas city plays a style where they sometimes use your talent against you in a way so i think almost any result here is possible if you told me portland won this game three nothing i'd be like oh well they probably scored first early and then got two goals chasing this game and it it looks worse than it does much like the atlanta new york (laughs) looks worse than the game actually was so uh, I guess we'll get to predictions here pretty soon, but what else strikes you about things that we should be aware of now that the landscape is switching from Oregon to Kansas? Yeah, I, I think, um, well, first, let, let's just kind of lay out what needs to happen for either team to advance. Um, obviously, Kansas City advances with a win at home. Um, uh Sorry. Yeah, Kansas City advances with a win at home. The Timbers would need a win in Kansas City advance, and then it draws a scoreless draw would send it to extra time, where mm-hmm. away goals don't count anymore, what? as we remember. Um, but any other sort of draw, well, the Timbers would go through because of the away goal tiebreaker, because they held yeah. Kansas City no goals here at Providence Park. So um, if they were going to get a draw at home, scoreless draw was the best draw for the Timbers to end up getting. Um, I, I mean, Kansas City's been good at, good at home this year. They went 10-2-5. and five. Uh, the Timbers lost 3-0 at Kansas City. I don't know how much we really should read into that since that was the third game in much. eight games. I think you know how much, too. <laughs> the answer is zero. Yeah. I can't really take uh, pay attention to that game all that much. The Timbers were absolutely fatigued, and yeah. uh, they didn't play at all like themselves. I expect they will have a much better performance. Um, I, I do think the weather could play a role in this game. Oh, yeah. The players have you know, said... Uh, yesterday and today that both teams are going to have to deal with it but you know obviously the Kansas City players know their field a bit better know the weather in Kansas City a bit better some of them uh, (laughs) probably played in blizzard conditions there before but it it was blizzard conditions in the Kansas City on Sunday it's not supposed to snow again uh, so hopefully the snow will sort of been melted by by Thursday Um, but at that time of night it's going to be below freezing yeah I think the field is going to be rock hard at that point uh it's not supposed to snow again but i think throughout the next week there's still going to be off and on rain the field's going to be freezing unfreezing throughout that time it's i don't even know if it's going to be unfreezing because the temperature is not going to get very high throughout the next four days I think the Depends. high is on thursday which is 42 but yeah. not at 8 30 at night in kansas city right so come kickoff which is going to be between 8.30 and 9 o'clock. It's probably going to be like 8.50 or something like that. We could be at, at freezing temperatures Fahrenheit-wise. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I'm not looking forward to standing on the <laughs> sidelines for this one. Uh, I wish there was room in the press box for me to sit in, but the Jamie Goldbergs of the world are going to be sitting there. And I absolutely do think it's going to uh, be an issue. Um, I think I've referred to various arguments like this in different forms throughout the whole season and definitely last week. Just 
alluding to the fact like the playoffs present different challenges that the players have to be up for and you never know if they're going to be up for them until they're in that situation you know this year we've we've found that a number of players for the timbers in their first playoff performances have been able to rise to that level uh, maybe other teams we've seen throughout the playoffs and certainly last year we talked about this regarding atlanta last year where it seemed like joseph martinez and miguel Amaron kind of got their first lesson in what playoff soccer was about this isn't playoff soccer this is about playing in freezing temperatures and you go through this roster and you ask yourself how many games of this magnitude too have these players had to play like this and the answer is probably none because how often does this actually happen well sebastian blanco yesterday reminded everyone that he played in ukraine and so yes. this will be perfectly normal for him yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually i could just imagine seba's smile as he's saying that so yeah you don't want to say just because these players have never just because they're born in argentina or el salvador or colombia that they've never been exposed to this and you don't want to say just because they've never been exposed to it doesn't mean they can't adapt to it but I think it's a legitimate question to keep in mind. Yeah. I know in 2013, I thought we all Salt Lake outplayed Kansas City. But there were various points in that game that you just kind of say to yourself, oh, yeah, Kansas City knows that part of the field is frozen. I think it was like in the eighth minute where Graham Zussi races past Tony Beltran. And you're just like, yeah, Tony Beltran is not used to playing on this frozen field. And Graham Zussi knows exactly where the ground you can actually dig in and sprint a little bit. So I think little things like that will be a factor. And hopefully the experience of Nat Borchers and Ned Grabovoy in this organization uh, can impart some knowledge on the staff. And hopefully they'll be prepared for it. Yeah. Um, I also think that the Timbers, one of the things they've been bringing up a lot over the last two days is just sort of, we've gone on the road and we've done this before. Yeah, they've been bringing it up a lot. (laughs) So I I think we'll see if that matters. But there is certainly a level of confidence with this team going on the road after going to Dallas, uh, beating them in the knockout round and going to Seattle and winning in the way they did uh, in the Western Conference semifinals, I think. Kansas City is a different team. There's a reason they finished first in the West this year. And like you said, the field conditions add a whole nother, um, another thing to this game. But I, I do think, despite the scoreless draw, because the Timbers have been able to go on the road throughout this playoff series, and that's where they've had their wins, that's where they've moved on in series so far, I, I do think that that is going to give them a little bit of confidence going into this certainly game. doesn't hurt, right? Yeah. Winning games on the road that you have to, certainly after a while, you have reason to believe that you can do it. You know, I think I go back to these a couple of cliches. One is a, a broader cliche about how preparation breeds confidence. And I think that's the one thing from the Timbers over the last six weeks is that they feel like they go into every game as if they know what the opponent is going to do. And whether that's a true belief or not kind of doesn't matter because once they're on the field, they feel confident in what they are doing. I think, you know, a lot of the late summer, we kind of saw a team that really wasn't sure of its own identity, let alone what the other team wanted to do. And I think this team is confident that they know what Kansas City does well, what they're going to want to do. And that helps. That's going to help on Thursday. The other thing that comes to mind that became a cliche this year is that Giovanni Savarese kind of saying that he doesn't want to be predictable. He doesn't want people to know inherently everything that the Timbers are always going to want to do. Like some games, like on Sunday, they'll play a more possession style. Whereas most of the country, I think, thinks the Timbers don't like to play with the ball or are unable to play with the ball. With good reason. I think the Timbers were like fifth to last in the league in possession this year. But when you have Diego Valeri and you have Sebastian Blanco, you're clearly capable of playing a possession game. And I think that's maybe working in reverse. Sporting, when they look at Portland, they might be able to convince themselves that they know how Portland plays. But I can't imagine anybody having a true belief knowing that for sure they're going to know what Giovanni Savarese's tactics are. 
I think in terms of the tactics, I want to go back to the weather aspect for a moment just because Laura had My a question. favorite topic. You um, know how much I love talking about this. <laughs> weather in Kansas City. Um, but Laura asked, will the weather forecast play into geostrategy for Thursday? So do you think in him determining his game plan for Thursday, do you think that weather is going to dictate what he does? I don't think it's going to dictate what he does, but another cliche that uh, <laughs> has been repeated throughout the year is that you know it's a coaching staff's job to be prepared for everything to think out every possible scenario and one of the scenarios he's going to have to think out is okay what if the style of game changes because of the field conditions or the cold what if certain players don't respond who do we suspect might be able to respond who has injuries that are not going to loosen up um, because of the temperature and he's going to have to consider all these things but I just can't imagine Giovanni Savarese and his staff like looking at each other and going it's going to be cold. We have to completely change the way we play because they have to know what their team does and doesn't do well at this point. And quite frankly, they don't know for sure what they do well at freezing temperatures. So they have to go with their what they otherwise know the team does well. I don't know. What do you think? If you were Giovanni Savarese, how would you approach it? Uh, yeah, I don't see them changing. I, I see the game plan being fairly similar. I think they're much more going to be focused on approaching Kansas City as an opponent as, yeah. as opposed to the weather. I think they're going to have that in the back of their mind and be in a situation where they're ready to adjust depending on the field conditions. Um but I don't think that's going to be part of the game plan going in. I just think it's something they have to consider and be prepared to adjust if they need to. I think it's also of note the two road games that the Timbers played in the playoffs so far this year have seen them basically try to absorb the other team's pressure um, while for the most part, until the game changed in Seattle, being in a position of strength. They got the early goal in Dallas. They went to Seattle with a lead that held up for over an hour or around an hour. And they were fine letting the game develop and then reacting to it. They don't come into Thursday's game from a position of strength, but they also don't have to chase the game either. So I don't know how that's going to affect things at kickoff, but it might be a hint that the Timbers are capable of playing a number of different ways. Yeah. So uh, if the Timbers advance, obviously they'll advance the MLS Cup and they'll be playing... Atlanta, right? <laughs> it seems like it. If you want, if anybody wants to bet against Atlanta <laughs> after Sunday's game, I'm hoping you're getting very good odds. Uh, at the same time, I don't think this game was really as far apart as the final score indicated. New York gave up two goals late. I think they didn't really adjust to the game late. They let it get open. Uh, maybe they were trying to chase an away goal that would have been crucial, an away goal that they ha- thought they had for a moment <laughs> until VAR reversed it on an offsides call, uh, offside call. But... Uh, I think if I were a New York staff, I would just be looking back on the game and going, you know what, we should have been happy with the 1-0 and just coming back home because once the game became about transition and those opportunities Atlanta had, I think New York season ended there. Yeah, I, I think there is, I'm forgetting who posted it, but a, a good post uh, out there about New York ch- changed uh, their identity at the wrong time. Yeah, I heard Taylor Twelman say that on the broadcast, or uh, I didn't hear him say it. I was watching the game on mute. Um, not intentionally. I don't have anything <laughs> against Taylor Twelman or anything, but somebody relayed that to me. And to be quite honest with you, I thought New York's approach was fine. Even the first goal, it wasn't because of style or tactics. It's because their defender misjudged a cross and was too under it, and their right back didn't help. Even at that point, New York didn't really change style too much. So I was thinking to myself, if they go back one nothing, even though they haven't been as aggressive in this game as they normally are, I, I suspect that they're in good shape. I thought the plan, I thought the plan in the abstract was fine. The question that I'll keep asking myself is, if you have a team that plays a certain way all the time and then you change for one scenario. 
are is that team confident in the approach? Now, at the same time, Kansas City didn't play like they normally do on Sunday. They weren't this possession-hogging team that was pressing Portland all over the pitch, getting stretched and trying to get five people up into the press as much as possible. And they came out of Providence Park with a result they're probably pretty happy with. So I don't really buy into this theory that you know if you change your identity, you're destined to fail. It's more, are you capable of changing your identity? So let's hit some listener questions before we uh, move on to the Chris Rifle Memorial Hot Take interlude. Uh, Wiley asks, what's a bigger deal? Yeah, I think there's two parts to this question. First, what's a bigger deal? Chara playing. Uh, obviously, he was coming into Sunday's game with a yellow card, so that was a worry that Chara might pick up another yellow card mm-hmm. and be suspended for Thursday. He did not, so he will be available. Chara playing or Kansas City getting Rubio back from suspension? You go first. Chara playing. 100 percent the answer is always, always char it's play. always char okay. i think it's a 22 games uh that the timbers have gone without a win uh mm-hmm. timbers have not won in 22 games dating back to july 2015 without char on the field um I, I think rubio like i said has been playing well i don't think he is the guy that changes the entire game for kansas city i, I think diego chara being in this game is, is critical especially look at how he played sunday um yeah. The, the Timbers need Diego Char in the midfield. We've seen that time and again. Uh, they're just not the same team without him. And, and I think had he picked up that yellow card, I think there would be a lot of wor- a little, little bit more worry going to this game just on how the Timbers adjust to a, a lineup without him. So I, I think it's a huge deal uh, that Char was able to avoid that yellow card. I, I do too. I think with Kansas City... And I might be wrong about this, but just given over the years how many forwards they've brought in and brought out, uh, how they all end up playing a similar style when they do get integrated into Peter Vermes' system, I just think that when Kansas City is clicking and creating chances the way they do, as long as you have competent forwards, they're going to score goals. So I think in that way, while Rubio isn't necessarily totally interchangeable, I think Kansas City could win without Rubio. I think Portland can win without Chara, but the odds get much longer, <laughs> as you cited. I, I think that stat is inexplicable and aberrational, but I can't deny that there, there's more than a grain of truth in the idea that the Timbers are going to struggle without Diego yeah. Chara. Um, at the same time, um, when we're talking about Wiley's question about impact players for each side, I'm going to go with the other Diego. Like When Diego Valeri has big moments in the playoffs, the Timbers win, period. Saw it in Dallas. That goal that he scored, I still can barely believe that he scored it. Not because it was the best goal I've ever seen. It's more that I should have known the moment that that foul came. The moment Blanco drew that foul with his Blanco ways that, oh yeah, Valeri's going to bury this. And at any point he's capable of doing that. He's capable of delivering this perfect set piece. And if he does it again on Thursday... I have a hard time imagining the Timbers not also winning. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I was going to wait on the second part. So I didn't say, I, I was actually thinking Diego Larry too, in terms yeah. of <laughs> uh, the second part of the question, who do you see as the one impact player for each side? Um, I agree with that. Like I mentioned with the chances created, if the Timbers, the Timbers are going to need to score one way or another to, yeah. to win this. It, obviously a scoreless draw would send it to extra time, but at some point the Timbers are going to need to score, I guess at least on penalty kicks. Yeah, <laughs> if, if really nobody goes. wants to play for penalty kicks no one wants 120 to play minutes that. at a time. Yeah. So the Timbers are have to go into the go into Kansas City with a mentality. <laughs> Does Portland really want to press their penalty <laughs> kick luck against Kansas City? 
Yeah, probably not. I mean, maybe the, some people just post, believe that. Well, you the know, post in Kansas City, you don't know what side they're on. Well, I do. All I know is that the magic is real. That's all the I magic know. Is real. No, but um, yeah, uh, we both talked about Valeri for for Kansas City. Though I would say uh, Felipe Gutierrez, not only because he's their best player, but against in the RSL series, you saw how Kansas City becomes a much more versatile and dangerous team when Felipe Gutierrez has the freedom to go into spaces that he thinks are dangerous or follow the ball. And he didn't have that freedom on Sunday. He had to actually play part of a midfield three that had to deal with a game that was being played on the Timbers' terms. The game starts to be played on Kansas City's terms. That means Gutierrez is probably playing a bigger role, and all of a sudden he becomes maybe the most dangerous player on the pitch. So just to yeah, just to say something differently, I'm going to say okay. uh, <laughs> Matt Beasler. I yeah. think that... It, like I like I was saying with on the Timber side, I mean, it, it, if the Timber score first, um, the the series I think probably is over. Uh, I, I think that if the Timber score first, they're in a huge advantage, um, and, and the Timbers need to score to have a chance to advance. So if Kansas City plays as good as they can on defense, uh, led by uh, Matt Beasler, I that's going to be a deciding factor in this series. That's what we should have done with this question. We should have posed it to each other and then eliminated one person you can't say. So I basically <laughs> eliminated uh, Gutierrez for you, yeah. and we forgot to eliminate uh, somebody from the Timbers for each other. Let's go to uh, Tim's question. Tim, and we've already touched on this a little bit, but it'd be good to take a couple of minutes to expand on it. Tim asks, any info or perspective on why Armenteros' season fell apart? For one, there's really no question that it has fallen apart at this point. So that's that's beyond <laughs> debate. The question is why. Yeah, um, it's it's a hard one to answer. I, I mean, I, I think there has to be a little bit more going on than than we necessarily know from the outside, um, and that could be something as small as just seeing Armenteros' mentality decline a little bit uh, as he gets less playing time or confidence decline or something. It could be something more. We really don't know. But it's clear that after Audi left, for whatever reason, Armenteros sort of fell into a little bit of a plateau, stopped scoring goals. Maybe he wasn't being challenged as much for that position, sort of thought he had claimed it. And then at some point, one that continued, Jeremy Abobasi got the chance and was better. Um, and Armenteros sort of lost that Opportunity and maybe his confidence dropped. Maybe he, they, he, I whatever. I don't know what the reason is necessarily, yeah. but he hasn't sh- been able to push his way back into that spot. I mean, the opportunity he has had off the bench or in that Vancouver game, unfortunately, got injured um, in that game, which I thought was a huge opportunity for him on the final day of the regular season to sort of prove that he was still a valuable member of this team. He didn't show anything, and he was dealing with an injury then, and he's been injured pretty much from then until now uh, with these sort of small injuries that have prevented him from getting back in in any sort of meaningful way but um, it's hard to point to exactly one thing from the outside obviously if we were in the locker room I think we'd have a little bit better perspective Um, but it's clear from either a mentality or confidence standpoint or, or something he stopped performing lost his spot and hasn't been good enough to get back in I think it's fast start probably set expectations a little bit too high Based on what you're saying, I think it's totally rational to ask, was he trying to rise to Fernando Adi's level? And then once Adi wasn't here anymore, that bar changes from his perception. Obviously, it shouldn't have changed. But is that what happened? I don't know. None of us have asked him about that. Maybe we should. Uh, And the other thing is that maybe other options just emerged. I mean, clearly other options emerged. Lucas Milano came back. Jeremy Obobese got to the point where Giovanni Savarese felt confident in giving him MLS minutes. But even if you kind of look at both of those things, that his goal-scoring streak 
early on presented too rosy a picture. And the competition that has emerged since then changes the context of that. I still think there are gaps here that need to be explained. And ultimately, I think, yeah, I think only Samuel Armateos can explain that. But even then, maybe he has a perception of it that doesn't match the coaching staffs or anything else. I... It's funny, I always wrote this during the year and I always wondered whether somebody within the organization was going to get mad at me because I always wrote, you know, we're facing a possibility here where the Timbers are really going to regret trading away Fernando Adi. And for a couple of months, I really believed that. I still kind of believe that because Fernando Adi is a really good player. Yeah. But I do think between Jeremy Abobasi, Lucas Milano, and Dion Espria, the lack of forward options is a challenge, but it's not going to be a reason that the Timbers don't accomplish their goals. Yeah, I think the Timbers have shown that they can still be an MLS Cup contender without Audi. I think in the offseason, they're going to have some big positions to make as striker. I think at this point, I think I would give it a 90% chance that Armenteros is gone. Um, I, I I would be shocked to see Armenteros come back at this point. We'll see. Um, but I don't, I think the contract. Uh, Obviously, I don't think he's going to come back as a DP, and I, I don't see that contract being negotiated down necessarily to a point where the Timbers think after the season that that is the player they want to invest in. Um, I, I think they still might need to bring in a new forward in the offseason, and obviously if they kept Audi, they wouldn't be facing that um, same uh, situation. But, uh, yeah, at this point, I don't think the trading Audi is what's going to be the reason why the Timbers failed this season or something like that. So, Tim, I hope we answered your question, though. It feels like we didn't because we don't have the answer. But as far as info or perspective, I think I would just say that we, when we're working off of a small amount of information early in the season, we logically depicted a picture of Samuel Armenteros that maybe didn't match reality. And maybe the current uh, picture that we have, the one with a greater sample size and some adversity added to it is a more accurate picture. And so his season did fall apart, but probably fell apart in a way that it was destined to fall apart, not being able to meet very high early expectations. All right, Jamie teased this before. Let's get to it. The Chris Reifer Memorial Hot Take Interlude. Just a reminder here, Chris Reifer is not dead. (laughs) This is a Memorial Hot Take Interlude, but this is very much alive, very much well. And if you want to continue enjoying Chris's hot takes, he's doing a great job on Twitter of, I think, uh, providing great discussion points from a little bit more of an outsider's perspective than he had before. But he's still a great follow on Twitter. So follow him at J A M I E B G O L D B R G. Jamie? <laughs> um, so I just I, I could just yell about MLS Cup playoffs for, Do for it. hours. Do it. Um, I'll adjust the levels. Yell. <laughs> yell. We have to no. drown out all this construction noise. Yell, no, Jamie. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna actually make people pull the headphones out of their ears. But um, I think I've, I've said a lot about all the things I hate about MLS Cup playoffs. Um, I'll just give a new one uh, today <laughs> to try to change it up, um, which I, I think could be solved with if MLS, which I'm really hoping, does change sort of their season in the playoffs next year. Um, I am happy that the game is going to most likely, MLS Cup is most likely going to be Atlanta. I think that worked out pretty well. It's going to be That'll a be cool. Rel- it's going to be a great atmosphere. Um, it's going to be a con- weather conditions that are good for December. Oh, okay. Um, I see where we're I, going I, I think it worked out really well for MLS that it ended up in Atlanta. This is you pandering to me. I love this <laughs> I take. am sort of pandering to you. Um, 
I think that MLS Cup should be at a neutral location, just the same as they do it in NWSL or, or NFL football. Uh, be, and part of that is because right now, for some reason, MLS decides to play MLS Cup in, in mid-December. Um and can end up in places like Kansas City below freezing on a field that... Two years in a row with the, in Toronto with the yeah, same team. Um, potentially be in a place that has actually snow on the ground uh, for yeah. MLS Cup. Um, and that's just ridiculous to come to the end of the season, the marquee event of the year, and have field conditions be basically unplayable and have the game not be the marquee game you want to showcase to the biggest probably national TV audience you're going to get all year. Um, so I think MLS is really lucky that it ended up being Atlanta this year. Um, I, I've totally ridden off New York, so yeah, we'll watch them prove me wrong. Um, but it could have turned out uh, very differently, and I, I think unless they're going to completely revamp the playoff schedule crossing my fingers that that is actually going to be what happens um but if they remains the same they need to make this a neutral location because they need to avoid some of these weather conditions at at this time of year uh i'd like to see good soccer in the playoffs that's going to dovetail with my take which i'm just going to end up saying a different version of what you're saying for the same reasons we need to get the best soccer on the field when the most eyes are on it but i remember going to mls cups when it was neutral site and it wasn't that bad. I think the neutral site one that everybody remembers, it was uh, the one that kind of changed the policy. And then two years later, they went to home team hosting. It was Dallas versus Colorado in Toronto. And people looked at that and the atmosphere there. It's like, oh, my God, we can't have this. This is terrible. It wasn't a good viewer experience. But if you end up with a playoff format that can lead to Dallas and Colorado, two teams that nobody really cared about at that time, in a final that you're playing in Toronto, I mean, come on, just don't like don't pick the like Toronto in November as a place that people are supposed to be excited about. And this is Toronto pre their revolution when Toronto was kind of at their nadir of MLS significance. So of course, nobody in the city was going to be super excited about MLS soccer, let alone MLS soccer. That was Dallas, Colorado. Now my take is slightly different, but for the same reason, these showcase events should be in the best conditions possible. I just think those best conditions are more likely to be in May and June than they are December and November. And I know a lot of people will come and kind of say, oh, my gosh, do you know, like, what it's like to try to play a soccer game in New England in January? It's like, well, no, I don't because the schedule has always been like this. But I also know that New England can go on a road trip or a lot of places like in Toronto or Montreal, they have access to indoor facilities that they can use. And, yeah, it's not an ideal situation. But at the same time... I think that the these playoffs, getting the best soccer being played in the circumstances that people are getting most excited about, outweighs that, in, in my opinion. Um, I just don't know, understand how this league has a vision for converting casual fans that involves your marquee event being not your best soccer. And it's been like that for a while now. Yeah, absolutely. And the NWSL, as we've seen it just about the neutral location, going back to my hot take, they're not playing neutral locations in sky blue. I, right. I, I have no problem with picking neutral locations based on what's going to be a good venue, even right. if some teams get left out. Make yeah. your venue better. You know, you're right. That's actually a better solution, probably. Um, shorten the playoffs so that MLS up Cup is sooner. And one of the things about 2013 that was such a disaster is that it was the same day as the Big 12 <laughs> championship game. So locally, there was no coverage of MLS Cup because everybody was 
worried about the football game, the college football game. So you move it up so it's not conflicting with the biggest college football games anymore, the most important part of NFL season, and you pick a location that makes sense. All right, so New England will never host an MLS Cup. Fine. We'll be fine. Um, and it doesn't always have to be in a southern city. Have it at BC Place one year. That will be fine because it's indoors and it's controlled. But I think I like your solution more. And I think this is the first time we've ever had somebody convert their hot take to the other person's <laughs> hot take. But your hot take was, one, not hot at all, but two, just way better than my hot take. Um, thorns section, we don't have much to say on the thorns except for, did you see the pictures of Emily Sonnet that went around this weekend? I, I didn't. I think I was trying to get the few days of Thanksgiving with my family in. I, I missed those. I don't blame you. So the W League is back in action. Emily Sonnet is not playing in the W League this year, but she was in Australia this weekend as we saw because uh, Sydney FC, which is featuring Daniel Colaprico, who went to college with Emily Sonnet. Um, they, the, the starting 11 for Sydney FC was walking out with mascots, the kids that normally walk with them, but they were allowed to pick the mascots in their life that mean the most to them and walk out with them. And so Dan, Daniel Colaprico being, what, 12,000 miles away from home, who does she pick? <laughs> she picks Emily Sonnet. So Emily Sonnet is walking onto the field with her aviator lessons, big thumbs up, huge Emily Sonnet, irony smile, and these are the pictures that are going around. Daniel Colaprico got to pick one person that was super important to her. She picked Emily Sonnet. Um, and it just goes to show you there's no off-season for Emily Sonnet's <laughs> brand. That's pretty great. I have to look on Twitter now. Yeah. I feel like I missed, a, missed the biggest news story of the year. <laughs> it's the biggest news story of the off-season, hopefully. Okay. Well, hopefully we have more news stories at some point for Thorne. Some At some point. Uh, maybe. Or if the biggest news story is like, hey, they're just bringing everybody back, I'd be fine with that. I don't think that's going to happen, but we'll see. Well, look at you. Do we have any more insider information no, to share? No, it's on not. It's not. Oh, come insider. on! Why are you holding? Oh, it's not insider. It's, <laughs> it's not. Out there. I just no, 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 no. I just, I just don't. I just don't think it's going to happen. But I don't have any reason that, yeah. that I believe that. I think the except. history of the league hints that you're probably right. Yeah. But uh, you know, a guy can hope, right? <laughs> a coworker can hope. All right, Jamie. Pressure's on. You missed, you missed your last prediction by three goals. It's a little bit <laughs> embarrassing for you, like we talked about a couple weeks ago coming out of Seattle. We're supposed to get these predictions right. You weren't that right. So make amends. Tell us now what the score is going to be so while we freeze to death in Kansas City, we can know that you've already seen the future and we'll know what the result is. Yeah. I think that this is going to be a high-scoring game. I am going to predict the Timbers going to go through, and they're going to go through with a 2-2 draw. This is you trying to have it both ways again. You did this for the Seattle game. I predict Seattle is going to win 3-2, but the Timbers are still yeah, going to I'm go I'm predicting Kansas City is going to win this time. Ooh, oh, so we're being a little bit more aggressive here. How much disrespect do you have for Peter Vermes' organization? How dare you? Well, to be fair, the Timbers can't go through if uh, Kansas City If they City could, then you would have predicted that. I don't know. Well, all that matters if, is if I'm right, so we'll see what happens. All that matters is if I'm right. That's actually on Jamie Goldberg's business cards, everybody. Um, okay, so my side bet. And keep in mind, everybody, I still have to make up about 250 points here. So, again, I'm swinging for the fences. I'm going to predict two specific goal scorers in a specific order. I predict that Bill Tuiloma will score the first goal of the game. And that the second goal, the second Timbers goal, will be scored by Diego Chara. So that Tuiloma is going to score the first goal of either team, not just the Timbers' first goal. Uh, you know, I'm going to pull that back because I feel like just picking Tuiloma and Chara to score in a game, the same game, is just that's already going to be a lot of points. <laughs> and then putting them in the order, I will say 
I'll rephrase it like this. Tui Loma and Chara will score, and Tui Loma will score before Chara. All right. That, How many that, that would be a lot of points. <laughs> hey, that's... I mean, I'm, not, I'm not making any guarantees. If Nat Borcher scoring a goal was infinity points... <laughs> and I got the score a lot. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. I forgot how you guys used to do it. But either way, I feel like this is a tougher one. So, what's greater than infinity? The, nothing. Wow, you guys have such a great scoring scale here <laughs> that you can't do better than infinity? Yes. Well, I, actually, we may have said infinity plus one yet once. I'm not okay. sure. We're going to have to make up a new concept that's greater than infinity. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll have, to inv- we'll have to imagine a dimension of existence where infinity is not infinite. Yeah. Hy- well, I, guess, I, guess we have, I guess we have like four. Or no, I guess we have a week to think Hy- of over this. <laughs> okay. If, if my prediction comes true, I want hyperfinity points. <laughs> Not just infinity plus one. Isn't that, what, isn't that the go-to? It is. It is. But I feel like this is such a bombastic occurrence. If Tui Loma and Chara score and Tui Loma then Chara in that order... I want hyperfinity points. I want you to make a guarantee right now that I get hyperfinity I'm, points. I'm not. I don't make point guarantees. So. What? You made no. a point guarantee for yourself. Yeah, and I didn't get it. That's so. true. Okay, okay. So you're now right. I'm bitter. You're right. Oh, this is why I'm never going to get hyperfinity. The lasting bitterness. Okay, well, I have to respect that because I would do the same thing. Okay. Well, that is all for today. Uh, we will be back um, one way or another after Thursday's game. We'll be back next week. Um, but for now, we're Soccer Made in Portland. Uh, you can find us every week on Oregon Live, Stumptown Footy, or Timbers.com. And you can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And until next week, take care. <laughs>